0: Welcome to another episode of What's at Stake, a Penta podcast. I'm Brian DeAngelis, a partner here at Penta, and I have a special guest with me today to talk about the latest on cryptocurrency and digital assets. Fabian Astic, Global Head of DeFi and Digital Assets at Moody's Investor Services. Fabian, thanks for joining the show.
1: Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: Very excited to dive into this. and. We've done several of these crypto-themed podcasts over the past year or so, and we've tried to approach the industry from different vantage points, but I believe you will be our first crypto expert that's coming from a more traditional financial research perspective. So I'm eager to get your take on on what's happening and where we're going over the next 12 months. Excellent. Let's um, start. We've we've got some very smart listeners, but I bet a few of them are asking what Moody's is doing in this space. So why don't you tell me first about your specific job at Moody's and what your team has been working on?
1: Sure. Uh, As you said, I'm the Global Head of Decentralized Finance and Digital Assets at Moody's Investor Service. My department is responsible for the rating agency's activities around digital finance. I've been at Moody's for 17, 17 years. Uh, I have had multiple roles. I started as a rating analyst in our structured finance department. And more recently, uh until we created my department in July of last year, I was in charge of quantitative analytics and innovation for Moody's investor service. So we've been monitoring the blockchain and digital asset space for several years. It was part of my previous innovation role. I would say on a Passive monitoring basis. And in late 2021, early 2022, as we were witnessing an acceleration in the digitalization of financial markets, we decided to go from passive monitoring to active engagement because now is the time to get ready before financial markets are fully digital. So what we're seeing is that billions of dollars are being invested in blockchain tools and services as blockchain and, uh, uh, other distributed ledger technologies, or DLT in short, have the potential to make things faster, cheaper, and more efficient, the asset tokenization market is likely grow, going to grow to trillions of dollars in the next few years. And I believe you and I, Brian, spoke a few months ago about a report by the BCG It was forecasting that the asset tokenization market would grow to more than $5 trillion by 2026 right. and over $16 trillion by 2030. We've seen that banks and asset managers are getting more uh, involved in the digital asset world in different roles. We've seen bond issuances on blockchain platforms. As a matter of fact, we just created another uh, bond uh, last week. And as you know, regulators and lawmakers all over the world are working hard on regulatory frameworks for the crypto ecosystem. Central banks in many countries are working on their own digital currencies. So all that to say that The digitalization of financial markets is happening. We've been observing it for a while and it's been accelerating recently. So really our goal at Moody's Investor Service and that of my department in particular is to get ready and help market participants get ready to ensure that we're all well prepared as the market evolves. And we want to help market participants understand all the new risks out there and how they interact with more traditional risks. And also, of course, as a business, we need to be ready to interact with our stakeholders digitally on DLT platforms, if or more likely when they want us to.
0: That's great. And I, I have to say, we've had several conversations. You use the term digital, digital finance, digital assets, a lot more than the more common nomenclature of, of just crypto finance and crypto assets. And uh, I believe that's very intentional. So tell us why.
1: Yep. uh,
0: Good catch, Brian.
1: Uh, Indeed, crypto finance is just a subset of a bigger field called digital finance. Digital finance is the generic umbrella term that covers all aspects of finance that include blockchain or DLT and digital assets. Crypto finance is just a subset of digital finance, which involves some specific digital assets called cryptocurrencies. And decentralized finance or DeFi is an even smaller subset. And I like to break down digital finance into three buckets. The first bucket is digital infrastructure, or as I like to call it, modern back-end financial plumbing. And it's all the usual assets and transactions that we have in traditional finance, but made more efficient and potentially cheaper by blockchain like technology. And in this bucket, for example, you have digital bonds and asset tokens and security lending transactions. The second bucket is native digital assets, and it's all the new assets and structures that can only exist thanks to new technologies like blockchain. And you have, for instance, uh, unbacked cryptocurrencies and native tokens and stable coins and central bank digital currencies and DeFi protocols. And the last bucket is what I call digital exposure, and it's really all the existing structures that um, are exposed to new risks and the new assets in bucket two, really. Uh, It's, for example, banks and asset managers and exchanges and also non-financial organizations that are more and more exposed to digital assets. And I like this classification because it's proven very useful in many discussions, in particular when we explain to external and internal audiences that cryptocurrencies are just a, co- a component of digital finance in particular no cryptocurrencies are involved in the first bucket.
0: That's very that's very useful and it is an important point so I appreciate you walking us through that um let let's jump into kind of uh, our discussion at hand today. So 2022 was uh, a pretty significant year for the the crypto industry. it, it started out rather, exciting and hot and then moved into what I think is fair to say a, a pretty bleak crypto winter over the last six months. I, I'd love to get your sense of what you're looking at in terms of global developments in crypto for this year and and maybe even into 2024 Sure.
1: So my guess is that 2023 will be a year of transformation for digital finance, uh, in particular because of policy and regulatory work that's done globally. And it's not just new policy work, but it takes time. And a lot of it will be effective in 2024, actually. And it's interesting because for years there have been calls for the regulation of uh, crypto finance and for a legal framework for digital finance. We've heard from market participants that they didn't want to be fully involved in digital finance because the rules were not clear enough. For example, if uh, if you're a bank and you don't know if you can meet your KYC requirements when you invest in some assets or get exposure to some sectors, well, you simply just don't do it. Uh, so what I expect is that when all the regulatory frameworks out there are finally in place, institutional investors will be able to step in and participate in the crypto environment especially low volatility crypto assets. And in a sense, crypto markets will likely have a, a second wind thanks to the work done by policymakers and regulators bringing back trust into the ecosystem and clearer rules to navigate the ecosystem. And it will also be easier for market participants to work with tokenized assets. Now, without global coordination, if even if you have comprehensive regional frameworks, it won't do much against cross-border regulatory arbitrage and and the problems that come with it. And there might be two parallel crypto industries. A first regulated part that would attract in particular institutional investors uh, and, of course, a number of retail investors. Sure. And second, crypto ecosystem with little or no regulation, typically offshore, with some retail investors with high-risk tolerance, as well as individuals that are philosophically convinced that crypto should not be uh, regulated, and again, unless uh, there is consistent global coordination, regional regulators won't be able to do much about the unregulated crypto ecosystem, except for trying to limit interactions between the two worlds to ensure stability.
0: That's helpful. We've um, we've seen a lot of attention and an interest in policy here in the U.S. and have covered that on previous shows. But I wanted to ask you the, the European Union has really emerged as a leader in this kind of digital finance transformation. And, and you're following this pretty closely. What are you looking at there and expecting from from the EU? The EU has developed a quite comprehensive legislative framework, which some
1: people see as some kind of blueprint for global standards. In 2023, we will see the early results of three years of discussions. First, the DLT pilot regime will come into effect in March. It's a regulatory sandbox, which provides a much more flexible licensing regime for financial institutions willing to engage in the issuance, custody, and trading of security tokens. It's meant to facilitate the move of traditional financial institutions towards blockchain and DLT for both issuance and trading of security tokens like DLT bonds. And it allows uh, financial institutions to create their own DLT environment, if you will, in which they can offer both custody and trading services. The second big win for the EU is that the European Parliament should approve the markets in crypto assets regulatory framework or MECA in short. In the mm-hmm. next weeks it will be effective in 2024 and crypto companies operating in the EU will need to adapt their operations by that effective date in 2024. So we'll start to see the effects of MECA progressively throughout the year. The new framework covers uh, stable coins with strict Redemption rules and reserve rules, and it will favor bank issued stable coins. And interestingly, there is also a cap on stable coins not denominated in a European currency. And given that the vast majority of stable coins today are denominated in US dollars, it means that the European market has to create a lot of new stable coins between now and the effective date of MECA next year. And it's kind of a bet um, and an interesting bet as it can either be a great way to push for fast and e- efficient innovation and the creation of euro stablecoins. But on the other hand, if not enough euro stablecoins are created, there won't be enough fuel in the European crypto ecosystem to operate efficiently. And finally, uh, Mika also addresses the governance of crypto asset service providers. In particular, it imposes capital requirements and various prudential
0: standards. I'm going to circle back on on Mika and stablecoins in a minute.
1: Penta is the world's first comprehensive stakeholder solutions firm. We are a one-stop shop for the intelligence and strategy leaders need to assess a company's reputation and make decisions that improve their positioning. As executives in the C-suite must account for a growing set of engaged stakeholders, all with distinct, fast-changing demands, Penta provides real-time intelligence and strategy solutions – We work with clients solving complex global challenges across a variety of industries. Our clients span technology, financial services, energy, healthcare, and more. To learn more about how Penta can support your company, check out our website at pentagroup.co, our Twitter at pentagrp, or find us on LinkedIn at pentagroup.
0: We'll complete our our trip around the world with you, so the EU's doing a lot Um, what if anything is happening in, in other regions? I know, I know the UK is is focused on this. Asia's doing a lot as well. What can you tell us about those regions?
1: So last summer, the UK introduced its first crypto regulatory framework in the financial services and markets bill. It also covers, for instance, stablecoins, but without the specific rules that Mecca contains. The bill is very high level, and once it's passed, there will be a 12-week cons- consulta- consultation period. At the end of uh, of which, the the Treasury and the Bank of England and others will discuss and set the detailed implementation steps and rules. There might be some post-Brexit politics at play here, with sure. uh, the UK trying to be more competitive and attractive than the EU. And it looks like the UK legislators are moving in the direction of a more market-oriented approach. And the bill will also empower the the Treasury to create a DRT sandbox, like in the EU. A lot is happening in Asia as well. Uh, Maybe just a few examples here. Singapore passed one of the earliest uh, comprehensive set of crypto regulations in 2019, and it's now considering tightening its standards to protect better Retail customers. Uh, Hong Kong has implemented the licensing system for exchanges, and Japan's financial services agency has proposed a crypto regulation which covers, in particular, stable coins as well.
0: Got it. Very helpful. Well, let's um let's let's bring it on back home, as they they say. The the US, I mean, we are facing divided government, but there was a, a lot of policy movement and at least legislative drafting at the end of last year. Um, wh- where do you see that that moving forward this year? Do you think we'll see any regulatory action in the or, or policy action in the U.S.?
1: Well, first, the, the debate is not new either here in the U.S. Uh, in the last Congress, more than 150 bills, I think, were introduced to regulate digital finance uh, with no real conclusion, actually. Uh, now we have a brand new Congress, so everything is pretty much being reset. But the adoption of new legislation is likely likely to accelerate as policymakers and regulators focus on protecting consumers and um, ensuring financial stability following all the events that took place in 2022 and that are continuing, really. There was a, a real sense of bipartisanship on these questions last year. And I hope I'm not being too optimistic by assuming that it will remain the same this year. But a comprehensive framework for digital finance and crypto finance in particular is unlikely until all the events of last year are fully investigated and largely settled. And in the meantime, I'm expecting more targeted efforts like stable coins. And on this topic, it seems Mm -hmm. that Congressman Patrick McHenry and Congresswoman Maxine Waters are close to reaching a bipartisan agreement. And the proposed legislation would allow the Fed to license stablecoin issuers and set reserve and redemption rules. And stablecoin issuers could borrow money from the central bank or insurance coverage from the FDIC. Until Congress adopts Comprehensive crypto legislation, though U.S. regulatory bodies will increase pressure on the crypto industry. The SEC said it nearly doubled the size of its enforcement uh, crypto assets and cyber unit, and it has since pursued several crypto asset uh, cases. And similarly, about twenty percent, I think, of the CFTC's uh, enforcement actions targeted crypto assets in 2022. So a lot is happening on that front as well. One last note on our side of the Atlantic. Just a couple of weeks ago, the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, the FDIC, and the Office of the Controller of the Currency issued a cautionary joint statement on crypto asset risks to banking organizations. And it's pretty much in line at the global level with the prudential standards on banks' uh, use of crypto assets released last December by the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision which is the primary global standard setter for the credential regulation of banks. And in particular, the committee recommends assigning a very high risk weight on volatile crypto assets, as well as essentially applying a cap to the exposure to those assets. And it's also worth noting that the Financial Stability Board has published a number of recommendations for a global framework for stable coins and crypto asset markets, including things like Governance rules, as well as redemption requirements for stablecoins.
0: You know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'm usually asking the questions, but I'll make, I'll make one comment on those answers. I think you're absolutely right that we're going to see a lot more attention in the U.S. and as, as well as a lot more progress, if you will, on, on regulation in, in the EU and UK. And I've I've found nothing motivates bipartisanship in Congress than feeling like Congress is being left behind in the decision making. So right. I think uh I think McHenry and Waters, and I think what we saw in, in the Senate ag committees and some other places, you may actually see crypto emerge as the one place where the two parties can can get behind something and pass some form of, of legislation this year. So it'll be. It'll be interesting to watch. Um, but my my commentary aside, I I did want to circle back with you. Uh we've we've brought up stable coins a, a few times, and I, I wanted to pick your brain on this before I let you go today. But uh, a big part of the the micro framework in the EU addresses stable coins, the UK framework covers stable coins. As you said, McHenry and Waters got very close and, and had a lot of cooperation around stablecoin regulation in the U.S., what are you anticipating both in the U.S. or just generally around stablecoins? And, and why do you think stablecoins seems to be moving first in terms of, of regulation?
1: Well, first, maybe a, a quick reminder for our listeners. Uh, a stablecoin is a cryptocurrency the value of which is pegged to the value of a reference asset or basket of assets, for instance, the US dollar or the euro. So the value of the stable coin is designed to remain stable over time compared to the value of a reference asset. The stable coin market is still pretty small. It's slightly under $150 billion. And stable coins are mainly used. Uh, Today in crypto finance, but they're a key component of crypto finance. They're essentially the fuel of crypto markets in a sense. Stable coins are used to trade crypto assets. So you use stable coins as a currency. So you don't have to switch between crypto and fiat currency all the time. And it saves you a lot of uh, time and money. And stable coins are also used as collateral for crypto loans and lending programs, but. The thing is that many of those stablecoins are backed by traditional financial assets. And should market grow, run risk in the stablecoin market, similar to what we saw in the past with money market funds, could lead to instability in the traditional financial world if a stablecoin issuer suddenly has to liquidate the real-world assets that back the stablecoin. And on top of that, stablecoins have the potential to be an efficient and cheap global payment system, and the corresponding stability risk needs to be assessed and controlled. And of course, if it was the case, stablecoins would become a major bridge between crypto finance and the traditional financial system, which would be a source of contagion risk from crypto finance into traditional finance, which for now has been very limited.
0: But let me ask you there that that bridge, some would argue that that is a a also a role that that central bank digital currencies could play. and you know there's there's been a a lot of thought, I will say and an investigation and research into whether central bank digital currencies make sense. some countries way ahead of other countries in terms of of adoption and pilots. but how do you see maybe the The regulation around stable coins, if it does lead to more adoptions of stable coins, what does that mean for the debate around central bank digital currencies? Well, it's a complicated question, uh, but a key point, I guess, is that
1: central banks won't stop working on CBDCs. Uh, And just in case for audience, CBDC is virtual money issued and backed by a central bank there are a few variations and nuances to consider, but you can think of it as a direct liability of a central bank similar to notes and coins. So we actually anticipate that CBDCs will make some good progress in 2023, as a total of roughly hundred central banks are working on this topic. And um, another quick reminder: there are two types of CBDCs, wholesale CBDCs, essentially for payments across banks. So not that different from today's electronic payments and transaction records between banks. And uh, there are retail CBDCs, which essentially means central bank money that individuals like us, Brian, could have access to. And this is very new. So, so far, 11 countries, I think, have launched CBDCs with different designs and different technologies. In the EU, The digital euro is still in investigation phase, but it will likely go ahead. We should see a proposal by the European Commission within a few months. The French central bank is pushing for a wholesale CBDC for use between the European central bank and financial institutions, as well as to facilitate cross-border payments. And the European central bank is thinking about a retail CBDC. UK is exploring a very different path where the CBDC would not be issued directly by the central bank, but by a private issuer. It would be what they call a synthetic uh, central bank Mm -hmm. digital currency. And the Bank of England has been clear that the purpose of the CBDC is to prepare the UK for a web three future. Here in the US, uh, a lot of work is being done, as you said, uh, but there is no consensus yet on the need to develop a CBDC, in particular because of privacy uh, concerns. Right. So even if we end up having a CBDC here in the US, we're probably at least a decade away from its implementation. But stablecoins, on the other hand, are already around.
0: That's great. Well, Fabian, this has been fascinating. And I uh... Could think of no better guest to take this trip around the world with us on on crypto policy. I, we could have probably spent hours on on each country, each region, but um, you've done a, a fantastic job, kind of helping us see the holistic picture. So, thank you for for joining uh, us this week. We really appreciate it. And to all our listeners, thank you for for tuning in again to What's at Stake. You can subscribe to the Penta podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts. Um, You can also find us on Twitter at PentaGRP or on our website at pentagroup.co. Check out the show notes. We'll include more information on, on Fabian and the work that he is doing over at Moody's. And thank you again for tuning in to another episode of What's at Stake.